This is The Bear and the Ball, and I've got some fantastic guests this week. Bernie Towers, president of Coast Soccer League. He has been a man in the administrative side of things for many, many years. Juan Guzman, who is the head of the State Referee Association, a former professional referee. And Ben Nicholson, president of Santa Monica Surf, a coach, former collegiate and semi-pro player. Guys, thanks so much for joining us today. We want to talk about referees and how we can best support them, nurture them, and communicate with them. Because right now we are seeing a big, big lack of referees within the youth and adult soccer communities. And we want to know how we can certainly make relationships between all components so much better, between administrators, coaches, players, and spectators. So I'm going to start with you, Juan Guzman. And ask the question, where does the dialogue begin and between who? Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining. Um, I know I've been on before and I appreciate, uh, you know, you having me back, Nick. I think it's an important subject that we're seeing now everywhere. Everywhere that you go to a soccer field, we're talking about shortages. I believe we've exhausted all conventional methods to try to recruit as many people as possible. And, you know, I think we need help now from the community, from the leagues, um, rules of competition. Obviously, I, I'm not a fan of restrictions and, you know, setting forth, uh, you know, mandates. I think it should be a community effort where we all uh, kind of pull our weight and really can really make a difference if, if uh, we're all together on, on this, this type of subject. So, Ben, as, as, as a president of a club uh, and a former player, where do you see where do you see the current problems between this this shortage and the behavior of people that is maybe causing referees to leave the game? I think it's a difficult issue because the we are all well aware of abusive referees and it's hard to imagine that a referee shortage isn't partly caused by the treatment of referees. But at the same time, it's actually only a minority of people that are engaged in that type of abusive behavior towards referees. The problem is it's a very vocal minority. So we're, we're talking actually about a pretty specific problem. If you look at a sideline of a game, you don't see every parent and coach abusing the referee, but you are well aware of the one person that does it. And so that the one person that does it can create the entire problem. And it's, we, have to, we have to find a surgical solution to extract that, that one or two person minority on a field of 100 people that are causing a problem for the other 98. I think that, uh, Ben, I agree with you. It, it just becomes um, you know, a big, big problem. Um, and everybody remembers that. Right. When you go home, oh, man, that 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 spectator gave that referee hell, you know, or if they see abuse, um, you know, go into physical nature, that kind of stands out in your mind. And then people, when they're offered the opportunity to referee or a new referee course, they just gravitize <laughs> mentally towards that. It's a human nature. Um, and I, I, I agree with you 100 percent. So. Who's, who's responsible then for the behavior of a spectator? And I'll, th- I'll throw that one to you, Bernie. I mean, is it, is it possible for Coast Soccer League to start, 
you know, throwing down suspensions and, and, and banning clubs if their if their coaches and behavior uh, are leading to spectators losing their minds or, or, or is, is there some other solution? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's possibilities of doing that where, I mean, I, I was tossed out along with my whole Servite sideline at a tournament once. And uh, as parents, we all sheepishly had to walk away, you know, 100 yards away before the ref would start the game again. And I think we kind of learned our lessons as parents. And sometimes that's called for um, just a reset. But what I kind of, if you don't mind me just addressing what I think is the 30,000 feet view what we have is since the 1970s and 80s, we've had an explosion in the number of players and games. And, and what has happened is these players have all graduated. Those that played in the 70s and 80s have now and now in 90s have all graduated. And a lot of them have decided to go on and be coaches. So with the growth of the sport in Southern California has been exponential. The number of teams... I mean, Coast Soccer League had, you know, hit a peak in the late in 2010 of about 2,600 soccer teams. Between the various leagues now in Southern California, there's probably five or 6,000 soccer teams. So the, the, the demand for referees has done nothing but escalate every year. And what happens, however, is, you know, even since feudal times, of course, a blacksmith's son became a blacksmith. And I listened to Juan's podcast the other day, and basically his father was a referee and he became a referee. I see it with the Almeida brothers who uh, do a lot of refing for us, and their father was a referee, and now all the sons are being are referees and excellent referees. So when you have COVID, when you have certain stresses, when you have dissent, when you have people leaving the refereeing field, the effect is exponentially the other way. You have far more people because now those sons and daughters don't become referees because their parents are no longer in the refereeing industry. So um, the impact of that one or two people that Ben is referring to is, is vast. And of course, we still have all these games going on with all these players. So I don't see the demand. I see the supply of coaches still being very high, but the, the referee pool needs to grow. And those referees, if, they're, if basically the fathers and, and mothers are no longer refereeing or they're not as many of them, we need to recruit more of them into the field. So we got to have those clubs. And everybody that gets involved in soccer has to be, you know, they're, they're either a parent or an administrator or somebody affiliated with a club with their children or, you know, involved. So we need to turn to the clubs for support in getting this problem turned around. And every time you recruit a new referee, ultimately you're fulfilling that pipeline. We have all these supply disruptions right now. We talk about all the ships off the port and all that stuff. Well, the same is we have a supply disruption right now in the referee uh, business. So we kind of need to get that turned around. And I think the only one way to do that is to start instigating some kind of a mandate that if you're a soccer team, you need to provide a referee in, into the field. And that will, at least for a couple of seasons, that needs to happen. And then every we can have a total reset with the number of referees. 
We can then also have an issue where those that are not having fun doing the referee business can retire and we don't need them anymore. We have referees doing five, six games a day this season. And I'm sorry, even if you're Juan Guzman by your fifth or sixth game, you're probably not as sharp and on your game as you were at the beginning. So well, let's, talk, let's talk about mandates here, uh, Bernie, because obviously that's a very unpopular term being thrown around these days in, in, in many different uh, arenas. But Ben, I mean, can you, can you talk to your club and say, listen, every team needs to be able to provide, not necessarily uh, guarantee uh, a referee for every game, but provide a referee within their environment that is licensed. Is that, is, is that a reasonable request or, or do you think it's, it's, it's just not going to happen? Um, it's not. I wouldn't say it's necessarily unreasonable. It, it would be difficult um, to, to do that. We already ask a great deal of our parents financially and time commitments um, to compete in, in club soccer. I think that leveraging them more um, will we'll definitely have problems doing that. And I don't know how fantastic the quality of refereeing will be if it's provided by potentially partisan um, parents or or even brothers or sisters of, of team members. Um, so I hear... I understand the desire to put some onus on on clubs to address an issue that is being caused partly by those clubs. I'm certainly sympathetic to that, um, but I do see immediate problems. So okay, I'd like to push back on that, Nick. Go. Basically, everybody that's a referee now is already a partisan to some extent. In other words, at some point in time, they got into the refereeing because of their association. They, and obviously the best referees, quite frankly, are players. People that play the game make it. So to the extent that somebody played for a Santa Monica surf and then becomes a referee, ultimately the idea is they don't referee their own kids' games. But everybody in that West Side LA is either affiliated with Santa Monica surf or one of the other local clubs. You can go to places like Bakersfield where there's only two clubs. So if you're affiliated with soccer in Bakersfield, basically you're with one of you. At some point, you had some loose association with one of those two clubs. Santa Barbara is another one where it's basically, a for the most part, a one-club town. So you can't get away with that and keep local refs local. You get, there is going to be some connection. The idea is to manage that and to obviously have... Uh, and most, of the, I don't really think we've had an issue with the referee assigners. Those people have to become involved. And honestly, um, at Coast Soccer League, we mandated this and it worked fine. We mandated, I think, two refs per club. It worked fine. Lee, uh, I've gone to referee meetings. I know Lee Eichenbaum uh, with NOCRA. I know Vito with South Bay. These guys, have, I've asked them, why are you refereeing? And this is now 10, 20 years later, and it's because, oh, well, you made me. So having someone like that, that started out as, oh, as 
yeah, they got drafted into, into the recruiting business and are still with it 20 years later has been a tremendous benefit. If we had not done that, we'd be in a worse pickle than we are now. So we need to dive in and get this thing sorted out. And I mean, quite honestly, I think as a club, you could do something like for that parent that wants to do it, you give them a free pass on their fees for the year. In other words, give them some incentive to become part of the solution and not uh, and not be a part of the problem. I, so I think, you, though, sorry, sorry, a quick one. If if we are going to mandate it, how do you enforce it? And what are the what are the penalties if the, the clubs go? Nah, we're not interested in this. Well, I, I'll speak for what Coast used to do. Coast used to do was used to basically provide a referee classes for those that submitted them, and then we would pay for their referee classes. And if clubs didn't provide a referee, then they they had to they could opt out by sending in money. And this, I actually did this years ago when I ran a, my little my son's soccer team, and we ran a fireworks stand. And so back in the day, this was. 900 bucks if you work the firework stands and 1200 bucks if you didn't work the firework stands. So I, it gave the parents the option, give the clubs that kind of an option right now. It's so much to, uh, if you provide referees and it's, if you're not, then you throw money into the kitty and we use that to try and recruit and do other things. I want to, I want to add something there, uh, Nick. I think uh, Bernie, I, I respect Ben, uh, your point of view, and I can see the difficulties of it, especially on a recovery year like this. Um, you know, uh, I can, and also I, I really respect Bernie's uh, enthusiasm and what they've done before in the past and what they're looking to do going forward. Um, but I am going to tell you something that's very important that sometimes um, we kind of we leave out, and then at the end of the day, we're kind of saying, why is this happening? Um, the reality is, if you know, we have a shortage of referees um, throughout, uh, not only youth soccer, adult soccer. There's there's college, there's other sports involved. You know. The incentive, the incentive to keep referees in your league is, is going to be financial. It's going to be money, right? That's the way you're going to have to bring referees in. To keep costs low, you're going to have to have the help from your community and recruiting members from the parents, from the coaches, from the players that age out. Um, if not, you're going to have a bidding war for a referee that's going to be way more than, than you should be paying um, an inflation rate instead of getting that help from your community. So... I understand that, you know, there's a time, you know, potential time issue, but it could also increase fees, which we're already seeing. You know, Coast Lock Soccer, Soccer League has always increased fees at a good rate. Um, there's other uh, tournaments and, and, and um, leagues that have done the same, but it's going to have to increase more because now, you know, you have to bet, uh, you know, you have to bet this money against all odds. And the problem is that if you don't get that, help from your community the cost is going to be very inflated ben let's let's talk about coaches and the impact they can make on a game and how angst usually travels downhill straight to parents do you do you think it's the behavior of the coaches that often leads parents to losing their their minds I think coaches obviously have a leadership role in how their sideline is conducted. And I think referees rightly look to coaches to be responsible for how their sideline is behaving. Um, can a coach control all of the parents 
all of the time? No. But can a coach set a culture and communicate that culture and expectations to the parents? Absolutely. And they should be doing that. Um, so I think that we, we should put responsibility on coaches to ensure that the, the behavior of the sideline is in line with what they expect and what we expect so from, from coaches as well. Um, I don't think that's going to solve all of the problems all of the time. But absolutely, coaches should be part of the solution. So that being the case, I'm going to throw this to Juan Guzman. Uh, and this is something that Ben and I have discussed before. Is that relationship between referees and coaches, the dialogue that happens before the game, during the game, and after the game? Because I think we've all been in situations where sometimes we're not listening to each other. And and Juan, you and I had a discussion about... Uh, on top of what Bernie said, that fifth game of the day, the coaches and parents don't know that this is your fifth game of the day and perhaps they don't even care, but you're not going to be on top of your game. How do you have a conversation that sets the tone that maybe you're not on top of your game, despite the fact that these parents are paying you, you know, X amount of dollars to produce a, a, a fine refereeing performance? Yeah, I think I think there's two things there. The first thing is um, obviously when you're tired, you're fatigued. Uh, you know, you're not going to make the best judgments. Um, uh, you know, somebody says something negative to you, and you're going to be defensive immediately. And you know, you just want to be done with it because there's a shortage. You're still helping out, but um, you're not at the best of your game, right? The second thing is I think uh, education comes to play, right? There's some referees that have a lot of experience and and know the laws of the game, and there's some that have less. Right. Um, and they're all, all out there at the same time. And you have, uh, you know, a range of decisions being made. And I think that causes issues with consistency. And I think that's the main reason that coaches and spectators get upset is because they feel that the referee is not being consistent for both sides. Um, you put into play that, you know, everybody wants their team to win and you're focused on your players. And if something happens to yours, you're upset. Um, and if they do something to the other team, that's part of the game. So you put all of these perfect storms together um, and you have uh, what is potential for a really bad situation where you start seeing people getting frustrated and then referee abuse. I think everybody needs to be aware of all of these factors. The communication is key, right? For us to know what a referee goes through, for us to know what a player goes through, a coach and a spectator, we all need to be aware and we all need to be respectful of each other. That's difficult to do when emotions are high. Um, and we are committed. We're starting to do a referee campaign where we're making this awareness to everybody. But this needs to be collective. This, this can't just be us carrying the weight. It has to be part of the leagues. It has to be part of the coaches. So, yeah, I think um, we can do it. It just needs everybody's help. So, Ben, what, what, what does the communication look and sound like between a coach, player, and referee? I think that there needs to be an underlying level of respect for, for all of those communications. But the, the referee, I don't think that there should, there even needs to be a discussion prior to the game about expectations from the referee and the coach. Everybody should know coming into the game, this is how we behave and this is how we treat referees. Um, so I think that the, 
the communication's got to happen before you arrive at the game. There, sh there shouldn't really need to be anything said between a coach and a referee prior to the game. Now, if a problem arises during a game, then I think it's appropriate for a, a coach and referee to discuss how to address that problem. And similarly, I think if there's an issue with a player and a referee during the game, then the coach needs to have some sort of communications with the referee to resolve those issues. Same, same goes for parents, issues with parents and, and referees. But really the hope is by the time you get to the game, people know how you should behave. And it's just a matter of keep, keeping people consistent with those rules and expectations that are already in place. So Bernie, as, a, as an elder statesman of the game, what do you what do you say to that statement? I, I say uh, that it is essential that a referee pull the, both coaches over before the game and have a quick chat with them. Now there are times when the referees only speak Spanish and that and the sideline only speaks English or vice versa, and that could be problematic. <coughs> Excuse me, but to the extent that they can, they should just humanize themselves. In other words. Tell the guy, and I would tell him, I'm, I'm on my fifth game of the day. I'm sorry. You got to, you know, I'll give you the whistle if you want to, but uh, if you need me to. But otherwise, I'm going to call the best game I can and the fairest game I can. And I would appreciate it if you would give me your support and enlist their help in keeping the level of dissent down. And, you know, basically, I think that would go a long way. I just spoke with Kathleen Kelly yesterday from the Eagles, and the referee did exactly that at an ECNL event in San Diego, and they had a single ref, and basically nobody said a peep the whole game because they kind of saw the coaches understood and the sideline understood that this was, uh, you know, that the referee had set the tone, and I think he, he laid the groundwork great. So the problem is a lot of times, of course, the referees want to tamp down and and become super thin skinned and it probably happens later in the day. And so they, they want to basically, uh, somebody put it to me, act like a jailer. And uh, these are all inmates on the sideline and they got, they've got to have, there's got to be a mutual respect there. Ben's absolutely right about that. There's got to be a mutual respect, but I think humanizing that the people talking to the coaches before the hand and the coaches could say, listen, this is a, make or break game for us. You know, this is first versus second or whatever. And the ref, and, uh, can you call it tight or can you, whatever. So those conversations could be had a hell. And rather than people getting defensive after the first call is missed or not missed, depending on the perspective, um, I think you can, I think you can nip a lot of that in the bud. The other problem, I, I will understand there's time constraints, there's multiple games on fields, et cetera, and the desire to get it moving. But to the extent that they can, I think refs should have a quick 20, 30-second conversation with the coaches just explaining their point of view and listening, giving the coach 20 or 30 seconds to say, you know, express their concerns. Bernie, um, um, that... Bernie, but Bernie brings up a great point, though, that culturally... <laughs> How do we how do we navigate that? Because obviously it's a very explosive issue, and I and I can speak from my own experience that you know different cultures call games in different ways. We see different things. Things have become more important, less important. Um, obviously, one size doesn't fit all. You know, we we ha we have Hispanic referees. We have 
Anglo referees, and they do see the game differently. Um, is there is there a way to navigate that without stepping on landmines? Yeah. So, so first off, I mean, um, I want to touch Bernie's point, and then I'll answer your question. Uh, what what Bernie's talking about breaking the ice? We do it in the professional level. Um, every MLS game, every FIFA game, the referees get together with the captains. Um, and they have a conversation, right? And it's quick, uh, you know, exactly what he's saying. Obviously, if you go too far with it, um, you know, people can kind of start, uh, you know, moving their eyes somewhere else. I mean, it's not as effective, but it should be something, uh, you know, humanizing. That word, to me, is most important because then it's where we get to the point where we're connecting instead of, you know, building walls. So I think that's really important, Bernie. I'm glad that you touched that point. Um, on, on the aspect that you're talking about, first off, um, I get a lot of complaints about this, especially in tournaments where teams come from other places and they're different cultures uh, in styles of play, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, the loss of the game, you know, the whistle, uh, body language of the referee, his signals, that's how you communicate during the game, right? Obviously, the official language in FIFA is English, but we know that that's not everywhere, right? So... Uh, first and foremost is is the signals, the body language, and that's how the referees communicate. And I do get a lot of complaints about that, and that's the first thing that I tell them, um, that a referee doesn't necessarily have to speak the language. You can go to another country. It's the same rules. We all play by the FIFA rules, um, the IFAB laws of the game. So uh, we shouldn't have any issues with that. But I know that's always an, a barrier between connecting with somebody. Um, sometimes, you know, a smile, a thumbs up, uh, you know, hand gestures, those are always positive and communication is key. In the beginning of the game, it can make you or break you. And that's what referees need to understand. They need to be ready to speak to coaches. They need to be ready to speak to uh, players when they get there. That way it, they get off on the right foot instead of negative. Ben, as a player who's competed at a very high level, how do you want referees to treat you? Um... I think it all comes down to humility. The referees that I've enjoyed or I've enjoyed, I've, I've liked to have are the ones that recognize that then not every decision they make is going to be right. The ones that are willing to say, oops, I made a mistake there. There's, there's some videos doing rounds on social media of referees calling or blowing the whistle rather than letting an advantage play and, a, a ball's gone in the back of the net and they you can see them visibly anguished. I think that's a great trait for a referee to to recognise and have that humility to understand that they're not going to make every every call correctly. I think a lot of tension arises on the field when a player complains about a certain call and then the referee gets defensive and w- will refuse to... Um, see it any other way than their own and and then that causes the player to to then bristle and and react in it as an advocate would but i think what diffuses those situations and, and referees that i i really enjoy playing playing um governed by are the, are the ones that leave that room for ambiguity saying hey this is how i saw it this is what i thought I saw. And then you you can't argue with that. And players tend not to argue with that. You can disagree about what you, what you think you saw, but, but that leaving that room for error and acknowledgement that there might be error 
um, is very helpful to avoid this antagonistic relationship. Bernie, is, is there a code of conduct within Coast Soccer League about how referees should be treated by coaches, players and spectators? Yeah. I mean, I, there's not a, I, I, we haven't written it down as a code of conduct, but it's common sense behavior, I guess. Um, you know, Coast Soccer League basically insists that their sidelines be on opposite sides of the field. And part of that is so that the referee can identify if one particular sideline is more problematic than another is one thing. But the main reason is because we expect the coaches to have an influence on their sidelines. And if they're all both, both coaches sitting on one side of the field and all the spectators are on the other, they have no influence on that. Um, I will say that the coach and 99% of them are, are a force for good. What they do for the, uh, for the business and what they do for the youth is fabulous. And the lessons that they give the players, you know, last a lifetime. However, there are a handful of coaches that are a force for evil, quite frankly. And basically, if they're setting an example of screaming and bickering and dissent, ultimately, the parents catch on to that and they start following those behaviors. And even worse, the players start following that behaviors. If there's no respect for the referee by the coach, then they ultimately, ultimately it plays down to the players and the players have no respect for the referee. And then the game, as they say, gets out of control. But I really think that even if you're a coach and you're upset with the refereeing decisions, you've got to keep that to yourself. I mean, that's got that respect for the referee. You've got to keep that and basically take it out, take it as a quiet conversation afterwards or report it to the league, report it to the referee assigner. Listen, this guy did this. But you are there to make sure everybody has a great time and enjoys the soccer game, win or lose. And you can make everybody's life miserable by your behavior. So I, the coaches have a powerful role to play in the success of the sport and the excess of their players and beyond just whether they win or lose the game that particular day. Juan, what are your thoughts on the, the system that Coast Soccer League employs where both benches are on opposite sides of the field? <laughs> Um, I think it works. I think also, you know, what, what uh, Bernie has done and what we've done at the state cups um, where we put, we don't put spectators behind the assistant referee and everybody is to the left of the bench um, is also really worked well because you have less, uh, you know, people being aggressive and abusive towards that assistant referee that potentially could be a new referee because a lot of those assistant referees are new um, and, you know, maybe in their teens and, because they hear, you know, abuse from the sidelines, they'll never referee again. And, and then we're, we're counteractive. We're against the tide. Um, so, you know, what Coast has done, what, you know, Cal South has done, and what we recommend is that so that we can have uh, people want to go out there instead of thinking that they're going to be, be abused um, every time. I have a question for, for, you know, we talked about the coaches um, and it's something that I want to bring up. And I know I have a few coaches on here. Um, and I never actually understood as a referee, even into the professional level. And I would just chalk it up to emotion. But, you know, in my eyes, when coaches, you know, argue calls or dissent calls uh, towards the referees, I understand when it's emotional. It's a 50-50 decision 
for the referee inside the penalty area that changes the match uh, versus a throw-in at midfield um, and, you know, the referees make a decision and the coaches disagree and they show the same emotional response. And that's something that, to me, I would never be able to understand. And, and hopefully, you know, we can kind of talk about that because I think it's important to know when uh, things are okay and when things are not okay. And the referees are going to take that differently. If you yell at me uh, as a referee at a throw-in at midfield, I'm going to be upset. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to tell you to stop. And if you don't, you're going to go. Rather than an emotional outburst um, and then getting on with the game. So I kind of want to hear it from a coach's perspective. Well, Juan, I've, I've, first of all, I've got to say before I let Ben jump in, throw-ins at midfield are way more important than penalties in the box. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably why that i got it wrong nick i thought the method was to score <laughs> go on ben i'll let you take this one because it's it's a great great question yeah i think players and coaches are incentivized to push referees as far as they can because the more pressure you exert the more likely you are at least potentially the more likely you are to get the call or the next call that's coming down the pipe. Um, so I think that maybe that will partly explain why we care so much about throw-ins on the ben, So let, let me tell you something for an experienced referee, maybe a youth referee or a younger referee or somebody that's new, you can persuade calls that way. But for an experienced referee, uh, you're going to get the calls the other way. And it was funny because in, in MLS, you know, a lot of the players, you know, they would call me by my name, Juan, you know, Juan this, Juan that. And, you know, they won more calls when they were 50-50 by being sweet than by being negative because you take that in consideration. And the, you, you're not supposed to, but, I mean, this is a real conversation, right, where, you know, that's just humanly, that's human nature. Yeah, that's, that's definitely referee-specific. Some will respond better to being kind and others not so much. And you don't know before before what you get. So you're kind of throwing, you're rolling the dice with that one. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I take your point. And it's, I think it's the, the reality is that, that referees are human and are going to respond to, even if it's not abuse, they'll respond to the result. If a team's winning 5-0, that could influence how they, they make a call versus 0-0. There's all these little things that will, you know, colour a person's interpretation of what's happening out there. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a really difficult issue because it's going to, the incentives for players and coaches to try to manipulate the referee are obvious. Um, how do we create boundaries? The, the tough question is how do we create boundaries that that relationship with a referee uh, isn't allowed to spill over into some sort of manipulative relationship? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think on top of that, I mean, there's things that I think awareness is important. But for instance, you know, when a team, you, you, just, you just talked about it, when a team is winning 5-0, um, sometimes a team that's winning 5-0 doesn't understand that the referee still needs to manage the game and throw a bone to the team that's losing 5-0 so they don't go after the team that's winning, right? And that's where I think that awareness factor that teams and players don't understand that that keeps sometimes the game under control 
Um, and then, you know, the team that's winning is also yelling at the ref because of it. So I think it's all about awareness and understanding why things are happening on both sides. I want to understand for a coach why, you know, do you guys actually um, think about that difference as a coach? Oh, you know what? A PK is more important than a throw-in. But I'll argue the throw-in because it's next to me. I think the nuances of, of this game uh, is one of the reasons why we love it so much. Uh, there, there are so many subtleties. And, and like you, you just mentioned, there are so many different uh, circumstances surrounding a game of soccer where, whereby a throw-in can... I, and I have seen it. I've seen throw-ins cause <laughs> a melee. You know, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. A throw-in at, half, at the halfway line is causing a melee. Um, you know, I, I, I want to get down to this, this communication part be, before we wrap this up. And, you know, I've got three different people here. And I know, one, you, you publish a, a newsletter um, for, for the Referees Association. I'm, I'm going to ask the same of Bernie. Bernie, is, is there any chance that Coast Soccer League can publish a bi-monthly newsletter to the clubs regarding referees and, and how that relationship is working, how we can make it better, things we want to see happen, uh, behavior that we don't want to see. And just, I think, gentle reminders uh, all season long will have a, uh, an impact that I hope would be positive and beneficial. Uh, yeah, we could do that. But I think what we're doing, and we're going to probably start this week, but definitely by next week, we're going to do a weekly Zoom meeting with all our club presidents and, and have the referees and assigners involved as well and invite them on so that we can have this conversation just over Zoom. You know, it's a new, uh, a new way of communicating right now and everybody can have their say and, and get involved. But I think that's, I think that's what's necessary because... Obviously, we can't have 2,000 people on a Zoom call, but to the extent that we can have the, the leaders of the clubs and the leaders of the referee associations get involved. The other thing I would do, and I would suggest this to Ben, and I've suggested it to other clubs, one of the things that I've always been amazed about, and I don't think coaches and certainly parents are, are not aware of, that these referee associations that are members of Cal South all have monthly meetings. I've been to plenty of them. I've spoken at quite a few of them, and they all are there showing videos, watching games, trying to get better, trying to get the rules right. Remember, the rules change every year for everybody. The iPad comes up with a new wrinkle every year. So these, I am, the dedication of these referee associations to get better and improve is not something that I think people realize. And, of course, um, what needs to take place is I would like to see clubs do the same thing where if they have monthly meetings of their team managers and coaches is invite a local referee or invite certainly the ref assigner or one of the leaders of the referee association to come to your club. I think that would be a great way because it would help give it a way for people to basically, if there's a problem on the field that weekend, they can put it off till the next meeting with that person and vent at that point. Don't be venting in the middle of a game in front of a bunch of 10 year olds for God's sake, save it for later. And, uh, but I think that dialogue is key to moving forward because ultimately, as we know, and I'll 
and I think George Nugent said this, there's three teams on the field. There's the, the home team, the visiting team, and there's the referee team. And the game works best when all three are working in harmony, quite frankly. And uh, we're doing this, you know, we're doing this for this, to, for the sport. We're doing it in Coast League's case for the youth and trying to get every, have a better experience all around. We want, if every time you go there, there's a screaming match, uh, even if the parents right on the coaches right, what does that achieve? That just sets a bad example for the community at, at large. So let's, you know, and uh, I would say the same to the referees. If you're there trying to be a dictator and disrespect the coach and disrespect people there, instead of having a little, take a deep breath occasionally, um, I think everybody will be better off. So, Really well said, Bernie. Uh, ben, your thoughts on that and, and how are you going to change the, the culture and, and relationship between your clubs, coaches and referees and players? I think we need to make an effort. This is, you know, this is something that isn't at the forefront of clubs or parents' minds whatsoever. And it's something that we need to make more visible um, within, within teams, coaches, players, parents, that there is a referee's perspective. Um, they're there to facilitate the game and, and there are ways that we can make that easy for them or hard for them. There are ways we can improve the service that we get from referees. Um, and, and rather than treating referees as a necessary evil, working with them to, to help create a better playing environment for us. I, I don't think there is very little attention given to that. I know there's little attention given that, to that. In my mind, I, I very, very rarely think about what what's going on with a referee um, during a game. I'm worried about my team. I'm worried about my parents. I'm worried about the club. I'm worried about the financials. Um, the last thing you think about as the referee, except when it comes to pay them at halftime. So just being aware that the referees are an important component of the whole soccer aspect, uh, the awareness is crucial. Nick, can I jump in here? Of course. All right. So one of the things that's happened over the last 30, 40 years is the growth of club soccer and its transition from a volunteer organ, uh, business to volunteer to a business. So the clubs now are incentivized because, as Ben says, there's concerns about finances, field costs, coaching fees, etc. There's a lot for a club to consider. And the way they can keep have grown their clubs is basically at the expense of the recreational uh, system. So AYSO has suffered and other rec groups have suffered because younger and younger teams are now being drafted into the club model. What that has done has led that there's no middle ground for a coach. You're thrown into coaching right away for a referee. You're thrown into a referee, a referee situation where you're being paid to referee and Basically, then the people are saying, we just paid you good money and you're doing a shitty job. So the, the reality is that 
we've lost a lot by losing our, our rec basis. The only way, if we're not going to, if the clubs are not going to recruit the referees and improve and get them as part of their program, then they need to turn back every under a certain age, turn back all these teams and let them play rec and rec only so that there's a breeding ground for referees and coaches to learn and get better and before they become uh, fully paid. So, but I, I think that's naive on my part. That won't happen. So the reality is it falls on the clubs now to recruit at that third leg of the stool of the teams and basically get the referees into the system. Juan Guzman, I'll leave the last word to you. Well, whenever I have a platform, obviously, um, you know, my job is to, to <laughs> encourage people and recruit people to become referees. Uh, like I said, we're not going to pull the wagon by ourselves. And I think it's evident now and and all the conventional methods have have expired so um you know everybody that's listening to this um if you're an adult and you want to referee you know you can service the mag the games um you know you have an opportunity to advance uh it keeps you healthy fit uh you know it's just it's just really good to go out there and referee i actually still do it um i'm not in the professional game anymore but you know i still do local games here right i have a game today at, at fullerton college um, so, you know, you can still make your mark. Uh, if you're a young teen, I mean, if you're a parent and wondering, you know, should I put my teen out there? Uh, the assigners usually um, put young referees with adults and they do the lower level games, the younger games. Um, you know, it really builds character. I've seen so many young referees uh, come out of their shell because they became referees, teaches you life lessons, you know, discipline, judgments. Uh, you know, how to make good decisions. And it's something that, that uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lifelong lesson. Um, I think, you know, making the good money, making uh, some sort of wage is also positive. But I think the life lessons are the ones that stick out to me and that it's helped me become, you know, a better person in real life and in my relationships, etc. So um, I challenge you, become a referee. It's one of the most fulfilling things that you're going to do in your life. And I know Ben is laughing probably. Uh, but, you know, I want to see you out there. And when people complain about referees, the first thing I say is, uh, would you like to become one? Because then you'll actually know what it is to be out there. So um, give us that opportunity to show you the way. We'll teach you. Uh, we'll give you the, the, the things you need to succeed as a referee and we'll train you. Uh, so that's my platform. And and I'll keep on saying that for the rest of the time I'm here with Cal South and beyond. Juan Guzman, State Referee Association Head. Thank you so much for joining the Bear and the Ball. Bernie Towers, always a pleasure to hear your wisdom of 30, 40 plus years within the youth game here in Southern California. And Ben Nicholson, President of Santa Monica Surf. Thank you so much for joining us all today to get your wisdom and thoughts on how we can make this wonderful relationship between referees, coaches, players, and spectators one of harmony, peace, and love. Thank you for joining the Bear and the Bull.